Hey everybody and welcome to That Will Never Work. Those of you who know something about me know that I love the outdoors. Mountain biking, backcountry skiing, kayaking, surfing, whatever it is, I'm in. And it's not just the adventure, it's because there's something that happens when you're in the outdoors. It's something best described as a transformative experience. And my guest on this week's That Will Never Work knows all about that. James Kostrichian, who's based out of Blackheath, Australia, is a motivational speaker and professional adventurer. He founded his company, My Adventure Group, to bring his expedition experience into the corporate environment. And it's not often I can honestly say I have career envy, but the focus of James's company is close to my heart. But how do you get headline brands and corporate leaders to buy into this brand of wilderness team building and actually keep them coming back for more? That's what I want to explore with James today. Hi, I'm Mark Randolph, co-founder of Netflix and six other companies. Over the years, I've heard that will never work thousands of times, but I've learned there are things we all can do to increase the chances that they will. So join me for That Will Never Work. James. Welcome to That Will Never Work. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Listen, when I saw that you had applied, it immediately resonated with me because in some ways you're living the life that I kind of wish that I could live with these crazy, pardon me for using the term, crazy adventures. <laughs> I have done some amazing expeditions <laughs> all around the world uh, in the past and uh, really looking forward to and sharing those experiences now with different corporate teams around the world. So just to give a sense so people understand, tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you've done. Yes, I started life pretty normal after school, went to university, did a commerce degree, and then started working for a big four chartered accounting firm, first in audit and then moved across to management consultancy. And I just wasn't passionate or engaged in what I was doing day to day. I'd bumble through the week and then on the weekends, that's when I came alive. I'd go hiking, climbing, canyoning. And I guess in my early 20s, the expeditions start to get bigger. So I first started out paddling the length of Australia's longest river, the Murray River. That was a two and a half thousand kilometer paddle, uh, mountaineering, climbing trips around the world. And then in my mid 20s, uh, myself and my best mate tried to achieve a world first that had never been done previously, which was to paddle a kayak from Australia to New Zealand. So that's about 1,500 miles across one of the most violent stretch of ocean in the world. A lot of people thought it was impossible and it couldn't be done. And uh, we dedicated our lives to trying to pull off that expedition. And cutting a long story short, 62 days at sea, um, just over 2,000 miles, including a whirlpool where we went around in the, in the middle of the Tasman Sea, sharks on our kayak, storms with winds up above 70 miles an hour, it was pretty intense, but we did end up getting across. And uh, a few years after that, then got down to Antarctica and uh, pulled off a 1,500-mile journey unsupported down there as well. And I guess on the back of these big expeditions, Mark, um, I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of corporate speaking around the world. You know, I've spoken at close to 500 conferences now, almost half a million people. And as much as I love being what I call an entertainer up on stage, because that's essentially what keynote speaking is, what I love to do now is to take all those lessons and those experiences that I've had in adventure 
and give corporate teams the opportunity to live those same experiences themselves firsthand. And tell me how that's going. Yeah, awesome. So I started the business about five years ago, my adventure group. And I guess having traveled around at conferences for years and years, I'd seen what conference organizers and corporate teams had done to try and engage their people. You know, what can we do to bring our people together? How can we bring that sense of collaboration, trust, engagement amongst the team? And I looked at a lot of team building activities, and I don't like to use that word because I know here in Australia, there's quite a negative connotation with it these days. When people say on a conference agenda, we've got a team building activity, most people start to roll their eyes and I'm oh, not another one of these things. That's what I do at my six-year-old's birthday party. And I looked at the relationships I had with those people I'd done real adventures with, you know, where I'd stepped out of my comfort zone, I'd challenged myself. And I said, I wonder if there's a way of combining that love of adventure with corporate teams. I didn't know if it would, I really didn't know if it would work initially, but I, I backed myself and went after it. So I assume this is working for you. You're getting customers, you're running these programs. I mean, give me a sense of the scale. This is one a month. This is you are booked solid and you have a team of 18 people helping you. Great question. So a bit of an idea of how the business is going. We've been running for five years. We've probably run close to 40 programs. Um, most of them are a combination, or I guess there's two different kind of programs that we run. One is kind of executive and leadership programs where we use adventure as a tool to develop relationships and to develop trust, connection, cohesion. And then the other side of the fence is more the reward recognition piece. So some of the bigger programs that we run, just to give you a concept and an idea, we had 95 insurance brokers come up and spend three days with us. We have uh, 25 guides working for us. We have 10 casual staff in base camp that are also working. So it's quite a large operation when we're running the big camps. But then on the smaller side of things, when it's smaller leadership teams, and so we've had teams like Rolex, Ferrari, Pandora come up with us. Yeah, their teams are, say, 10 to 20. So there's been a big range of different organisations. Typically, we have a spring season and a autumn season. And in the heat of summer and in the middle of winter, things slow down a little bit. But we have these two seasons set up. And, uh, yeah, we run about 15 programs a year, I'd say. So fantastic. And I assume these things are fairly expensive. Correct. So you're looking at, you know, everything is customizable. And with the reward and recognition, there's no scope. There's, uh, you know, you can use helicopters to bring clients in. You can have celebrity chefs coming in. You can do all the bells and whistles. But the raw experience essentially remains unchanged. But typically, you're looking for a three-day, two-night experience around that 1500 to $2,000 US mark per person. Okay, so not a casual expense, something that's reasonably uh, intensive. The real question here is, what do you want to talk about today? What can I help you with? Okay, so I guess at the moment, the way my lead funnel works is I present at a bunch of conferences, one or two a week around the place. It gives me the opportunity to meet the correct or the right senior leaders. And then often that's where the conversation then goes about bringing their team up to have an adventure experience. I guess my conversation with you today, I had a really fascinating insight about 10 months ago. I had a team of eight people from YPO, so Young Presidents Organization, all very successful in their own right. I had them come up and we did a three-day wilderness experience. Sitting at the campfire on the final night, we're all discussing how they found the experience. Their insight was absolutely fascinating. 
Six of the eight of them said to me, there is no way I would have chosen to do something like this, either for myself or my team up front. I'm glad I was forced to do it. In hindsight, it is the best thing I've ever done. I have so much to say about it. I can't believe how much I got out of it and how we all got out of it. I definitely want to bring my team here. So I guess that really sums up my conundrum in that communicating the value of adventure programs to corporate teams is a stumbling block I keep coming up with. And I'm really interested to see your insights on how I can overcome that to, I guess, impact on more people and more teams. So James, it's actually, it's a fascinating problem. And first of all, congratulations to the fact that you've kind of managed to figure out a way to get paid for being able to spend time um, out in the wild. An envious uh, circumstance. But I recognize the problem that you have. It's really hard for people to see what they will get out of it because it's an experience that's so unrelatable to most people who their wilderness experience means maybe going to the park to play footy or something like that. They can't picture how can this possibly impact me in a positive way that's beyond just the physical, that it will actually change me mentally as well. Fortunately or unfortunately, I actually have a fairly good grasp of what you're dealing with, partly because of my own personal experience from doing, listen, I've never kayaked across the Tasman Sea before, and neither do I want to, I will share with you. But I've probably at last count spent more than 500 nights sleeping on the ground I've been in these crazy, ridiculous circumstances, so I kind of understand not only why that in some ways is a pleasurable experience, or it's type two fun, as my family calls it, but how it changes you. Um, how, as I alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, that it can be a transformative experience. And one of the organizations that I spent most of my life with called the National Outdoor Leadership School, uh, or Knowles for short, which basically uses the wilderness as a classroom to teach leadership by bringing groups of people, young people, old people, executives, the full range, out into the mountains and using that to teach a leadership curriculum. And it's fascinating because one of the byproducts that no one expects is that transformative experience, how it just changes how you see yourself, how you relate to people, how you see the world hugely valuable, but not something that you recognize on your way in, not something you necessarily choose. You choose to go because, oh, this is cool. I'm going to learn how to climb. I'm going to learn how to raft. I'm going to learn how to fill in the blanks. But when you ask them what they learned, they go, that was a tiny piece of it. What I really learned was about myself. So I get it. I also guess this particular school, Knowles, is more than 50 years old, and originally had a single product, which was this 30-day wilderness uh, adventure. Mm. So a very, very large commitment of time, very, very large commitment of money. And as a result, it was reasonably small, never more than perhaps 3,000 people per summer. For the scale of the school, it was not enough. And so they faced the similar challenge that you did. I'm all doing this as my wind up just to basically let you know that I kind of know what you're struggling with so that hopefully my advice actually um, is coming not just from left field, which is a U.S. expression, not coming out of nowhere. There you go. There's more, more universal application, but it's actually coming from some informed place. 
There's a second issue <laughs> based on my reasonably good knowledge of Australia and the culture is if it hasn't gotten to your shores yet, it soon will, which is that there's this deep resistance in corporate America in particular about putting people into circumstances which may be uncomfortable or difficult. And it comes from the realization that there are certain people, and I'll put you and me in that category, who thrive on physical challenge, who thrive on discomfort, who love type two fun, the, the type of things where, and the moment is a long way from being fun. But in retrospect, you go, that was awesome. And that a certain type of person likes that, resonates that, appreciates that. But that part of being a good leader, at least in um, North American corporate culture, is recognizing that not everyone feels that way. And that we have to be exceptionally careful about assuming that the things that I find thrilling and exciting are going to be received the same way. That in, in fact, there's this danger. We're all very, very careful about being racist, about being ageist, about being sexist, but there's a risk of us being, I'm not sure that word for it is, but healthist or fittest. In other words, making judgments about people because they're not as physically fit or as uh, adventuresome as we are. And so uh, to my knowledge, Australia lags slightly behind these cultural trends. Uh, and if it's not there already, it's coming. And I'm saying that it's going to make your life even harder, which is you're trying to get a large company to budget this and they're going, I'm going to get in deep trouble if I try and get everybody make this a mandatory exercise. Anyway, I get it. It's interesting you say that, Mark, because essentially what you described as a Knowles program and a 30-day wilderness program, that is where you're going to see the real growth. But I guess... I've kind of bastardized, corporatized my experience for the market. And so I only do a three-day, two-night kind of experience. I do have a beautiful glamping camp for clients and guests to, and, and, and our corporate clients to come and stay in. So although they're pushed out of their comfort zone during the day, they've got showers, they've got air-conditioned bathrooms, they've got beautiful accommodation to come back to at nighttime. <laughs> as hard as that is for me to do for these people, but I know how much that is important for them. So... Even though we are pushing them out of their comfort zone during the day, it's essentially, a, a, I guess, a, a high perceived low actual risk environment. And so we're not wanting to push these people to the point of collapse and tears and absolute fear. We're just wanting to give them that authentic experience so that as colleagues and as, as, as people that work together, they can see that person stretching themselves or they can actually see real human emotion, that person. And for me, that is one of the building blocks that builds trust and connection amongst the team. And so as much as I'd love to do those hardcore type two kind of extreme experiences, um, I, it's not something that I really push. It's more of a, yeah, a, a corporatized experience. Boy, hot showers and air conditioning. That's my, kind of, that's my current kind of wilderness experience. But I get it. And I think that's fantastic. And in fact, because of what you're doing, you'll resonate even more intimately with what I'm going to suggest. Is I believe, and this is not just for you, but I think it's for anyone who has developed this high-end expensive product, which really fully delivers some incredible benefit, which is don't stop. It is your flagship. And 
perhaps you begin to realize, in fact, there's a room for an even more intense, there is a room for a seven-day experience. But of course, for even fewer people than you're doing the three-day. But in other words, you've, you create this one program which represents at its core everything you've learned about how to translate the wilderness experience to corporate benefit, to personal growth, to being able to work as a team better. You spare no effort in doing that. And you've done that. And you've created the one thing which is the hardest to create, which is this flagship product. What you're missing is all the ways you take advantage of that flagship product. And this is where the deep thinking comes in and the benefit you have already, which is having lots of participants who have benefited from it. Because the challenge here is to begin to back up and think, what is my 80-20? What is happening that I could do for 20% of the time and 20% of the expense and 20% of the commitment that would give people 80% of what I'm truly giving them. Don't change the flagship product. You want that to hold up. You want them to think about my adventure group. Oh, that's the one where you do these incredible three-day team building. But you also begin to develop this program of the intermediate steps between that and between your keynote. I mean, your keynote is you get an hour with 500 people. Yeah, you move them a little teeny bit. And now you get three days with seven or eight to 10 people, or 75 at the most, and you move them a lot. I want you to fill in that continuum. I promise you there is a way to do it. And at first, your hardcores, either your other instructors or your other big customers, are going to go, that you can't deliver a transformative experience in an afternoon. You can't do it in a single overnight. And I swear, it's exactly the same thing all the hardcore Knowles people said, which is, you can't do it in less than 30 days. Well, you know, kicking and screaming, they go to two weeks, then they go to a week, and lo and behold, yes, it's not the same, but there is transformation that takes place. But it comes not from just superficially saying, all right, three days to one day, so we cram the curriculum in. It's being super smart about going, what can I parse out? What can I break apart? And I'm not going to reveal what the Knowles does for it. I'll let them explain that in their own materials. But they've come up with this very clever program that they use to get people to take that first step where someone can easily sign up to bring their entire department because it's a half day and it's conducted in a local park. Does not require overnight, does not require carrying a pack for two feet. It's a different thing. But yet they've been so smart about it. They've built this curriculum where you come away going, wow, I got so much out of that. And then more importantly, it feeds on itself. In that group, since you've now brought 10x people through, you have managers who are going, this is really interesting. And lo and behold, your instructors are, well, boy, I think you actually might benefit from our three-day program. And then these people in the three-day program are going, you know, you might benefit this summer from doing our two-week program. In other words, it's, it's this continuum. If you have 500 people a year going through your My Adventure Group programs now, or 1,000, whatever the number is, I don't know. Well, maybe you, it, the next step for the one overnight is 5,000. And for the afternoon is 15,000. 
but it, it's building this whole range, which has two things. It's a something for everybody. So in other words, you don't, if you, all I have is an afternoon, great, have something for you. All I have is, they have something for you. But more importantly, it becomes a funnel. It becomes a feeder. It becomes a way that you can do my adventure group for life, so to speak. In other words, I came and I did the, this, that, and then I came back and I'm a graduate and I came back and did this one. And now I came back and did this one. And in fact, now I have enough graduates that there's this one week program, which is invitation only, or it's only for people who completed the three day. I mean, there's a whole way of kind of building this curriculum, which completes out your whole real profile. And again, this is, this is not just something for adventure. I mean, many, many people have these very high-end, deeply involved products, but especially when they're very hard to explain, like yours is, very hard for someone to grasp what I'll get out of it. Sometimes you, it, it's not a question of throwing more marketing dollars at it. It's a question of, all right, I'm going to have to demonstrate. I'm going to have to find a, a light version of what I do, but not as a giveaway, just part of my curriculum. Love it. And it really strikes me, you've got the hard part done. You've got the brand, you've got the expertise. It's being super smart about thinking, what can my 80-20s be? And you, it goes all the way down. And then you could also work from the other way up. I come in, I do my, my speeches at the, at the one hour. Now, for a smaller group, there's my three hour. Where we break into small groups, and we, we we never leave the conference center. Sure, but we break into small groups, and we're going to do these interesting navigational exercises. Uh, I, in the conference room, I've got those additional experiences and some workshops, and I've created an immersive experience where it's like a choose-your-own-adventure um, experience that goes for three or four hours in the conference room. But I don't have that next step from there to, to a three-day experience. And I think what you're saying is right on the money, and uh, makes a lot of sense almost like a try before you buy and re, you know, get people to sense and feel it on a much smaller scale. The try before you buy is, is a great concept, but people think that try before you buy has to be, oh, I give one thing away free so people see it and then, then I convert them to paid. And I'm saying something very different, which is I'm saying that you can make it, no, these are all buy. They're just lowering the commitment level to do it. Yeah. And doing it in a way that the risk is lower so someone's willing to take that chance. And what's interesting is once you begin, of course, installing deep metrics into your organization, you begin to realize, you go, wow, for every, I do a speech in front of six or 700 people. It's amazing because every time I get 50 people to sign up for my afternoon training. Once you know that, and once you have this sense that that's pretty predictable, then you go, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop charging for my speeches. And which you go, well, that's scary because you're, that's one of the ways you're funding a lot of your lifestyle. But you go, no, these not, that becomes the try before you buy. Yeah. I'm shifting the try before you buy out. And now you've removed this barrier. Wow, many more people will have you speak and you're happy to do it because each time you know it's a feeder into this whole machine of absorbing all the, it starts out with those 700 people you spoke to and like a machine, 70 of them did this, 25 did this, seven did that. And it's monetized the whole way along. Really great advice.
Mark, what I wanted to ask you, what I wanted to say to you, so what I actually did uh, last year in COVID, uh, we obviously had a little bit of downtime and I did a bit of an analysis of who were the key decision makers and I guess who was the avatar that I was really selling to. And I, I realized that where I was marketing was probably not the right place to be marketing. So I, I'd spent a lot of time um, trying to uh, coordinate and trying to run familiarization, so familiars with people at the event manager level in an organization, people in performance, marketing. But what I found when I sat down and did some analysis was that 84% of my bookings had come from a senior leader in an organization, probably not do dissimilar to yourself, that says, I love adventure, I get what he's talking about, we are going to do this. So it's kind of top down, it didn't come from mid midway up. And I think one of the barriers with an adventure program and a, and a wilderness program is if an organization has you know, done their conferences or offsites the same way for years and years, so for Australia, they might head to the Hunter Valley or the Gold Coast. In the US, it might be, I, I don't know, Vegas or Nevada. They just go to the same place. They know what works. It's good. People enjoy it. You give them a few drinks, um, have a nice meal, a little bit of entertainment, that's enough. To go to that next level, it often requires a senior leader to go, no, we're committing to this and this is what we're doing. And so I guess my question to you, Mark, is, is it worth trying to invest and trying to build out um, targeting that middle level person organization, or should I just keep on with what's winning, which is, um, I guess, the leaders? No, well, first of all, always be very careful about giving advice on things I don't know anything about. And I want to be very careful about giving something specific. The pattern that I'm hearing is no, why would you muck with something that's working? Meaning you've tried going to the middle of the organization. You've tried, and it's not working. It turns out to be a top-down decision. I take it the next step. I don't say, how do I change my message? I really go, how do I change my product? What is happening is it's so alien, it's so unfamiliar, it's so expensive, it's such a large time commitment. There's all these barriers that quite frankly, it's I'm guessing most middle management, most individual participants just don't have the authority to push through. And the only person who can say, I think this is so powerful that I think we should leave for three days is gonna be the top person who's bought in. Which again, this resonates with having entry points which are more accessible. And you can back it up. You can go back to a lot of these people who you think should be decision-making targets and the names you listed them all off and sit down with them and say, what would a program look like that you would be comfortable recommending? And from my experience in the space, I'm gonna guess they're gonna say the biggest barrier is the time. If you can make this more convenient, you can make this shorter, make it easier if you could make this adjacent to something else we're doing. Yeah, we're going to the Gold Coast already for our two-day sales meeting. Maybe I can get our folks away for an afternoon. You know, you can push all you want, but fundamentally you also have to listen to your lack of success and say, it's not just shouting louder. It's going to be saying something different. Love it. Yep. Well, James, this has been really fascinating partly because I'm so envious of your lifestyle, but also because the problem you're solving in some ways is universal to a lot of people who have expensive, complicated products and are struggling 
to figure out how to sell and market them. And sometimes the answer isn't shouting louder. Sometimes the answer isn't, am I speaking to the right person? Sometimes the answer is I've got to reshape the product to fit better with who my audience is. And I think that actually, that thinking might actually uh, benefit you as well. I'll tell you what, once Australia finally lets me back in, and it looks like it might even be uh, not too long from now, I come over a bunch of times a year. I'm going to come over. I'm going to take advantage of uh, those hot showers and uh, that air conditioning. And then you're going to take me out on some fun type two adventure. Can't so wait. we can uh, have a chance for me to experience this, uh, this transformation firsthand. But until then, best of luck. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Have a great year. I can't wait to see you in Australia very soon. Well, that is a business that I want to follow up on in person. And I'm really curious to see how James does modify his offering to try to appeal to more people. But you don't need to have an adventure company to take that approach. When things aren't working, sometimes it's not just shouting your offering louder. It's being willing to modify your product. If you liked what you heard today, take a minute to subscribe so you don't miss a single weekly episode. If you've got a business problem you're struggling with and would like to join me on the show, simply come to markrandolph.com forward slash guest to apply. And while you're there, add yourself to my mailing list so you're up to date on all my news and entrepreneurial tips. And finally, if a 30-minute podcast is just too much, I share all my hints and tips in more easily digestible nuggets on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and yes, even TikTok. You'll find links to all this stuff, plus my blogs and other writing, on markrandolph.com. Check it out. Thanks again for listening and see you all next week.